welcome to Fraternal Frights. I'm your co-host, Marty. And I'm your co-host, Darcy. And we're two twins touring you through a world of terror and weirdness. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of alliteration, Marty. <laughs> it's almost like I didn't take a lot of takes just to say it. <laughs> I can say words perfectly off of the chrome of my dome. <laughs> chrome of your dome. The chrome of a dome. Darcy, how are you feeling today? Um, like I just saw kind of a mediocre horror movie. Is that what you're saying about my beloved ghost ship? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying about your beloved ghost ship. I wouldn't say the ghost ship is, like, bad, but it does some things that uh, I think it could do better. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So, one of the interesting things about Ghost Ship is its opening. And I feel like if you if you just want, like, a good five minutes, you should just watch the opening of Ghost Ship. The opening of Ghost Ship, like, I guess I should have expected this because of the fact that it was made by the same guy that did 13 Ghosts. But it goes from 0 to 60, like, real fucking quick. I mean, it goes from, oh, we're bored this luxury cruise line and we're all Italian and lavish and then well, okay. everyone gets sliced in half half or in various pieces by some uh, metal wire. And then this poor little, like, eight-year-old girl has to just scream. scream. I love that the wire cuts specifically at such an odd angle so she doesn't... Yeah. Uh, d- yeah. I think part of it's like she crouches down. Yeah, I think the captain is sort of shielding her is what's implied, but yeah, I feel like she probably should have died during that particular uh, scene, but she gets her comeuppance, and that's, again, something else we'll get into Her comeuppance? On. What did she do? <laughs> Exists. She was born the greatest sin of man. But I really like the scene, like, the way it shot, like, one of like one of the older Disney films. Mm-hmm. It's really slow. It's really romantic. It's got, like, that, Absolutely. that it's weird like you're filter over castle. it. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm at, at Meemaw's house. I'm in my oversized jammies. I've got my popcorn, and she She's putting on these old ass VHSs of her favorite, like, not even like direct to video, but like, it's just some stuff. Disney's like, oh, I guess we bought this. We'll put it on tape and we'll just. Like the uh, furry Robin Hood movie? No! Never say that! <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was a cinematic masterpiece. I didn't this essay, I will. <laughs> Not go into it because you mean the movie that turned like that was a major contributing factor into many individuals of our generation becoming furries. Are you saying that you don't think the Oodle Lolly Oodle Lolly Golly What a Day song doesn't Mm -hmm. fucking bop? It does bop. But I'm also saying that and the Sonic franchise are responsible for personas. They might, they might be, but I would watch that at Meemaw's house. Thing. But I digress. It does definitely have that sort of dreamlike vibe. Dreamlike and romantic. It does a really good job of, even though you know it's a horror movie and things are going to go horribly awry, it does really give you that sort of sense of almost sort of magic to start off with. Yeah, and the way, because I we watch this on Netflix. Yes. It's currently on. Though, and like the way that's positioned I was like, uh-huh, did I... I don't I don't know why my dumb idiot brain was like, oh, did I accidentally get a wrong copy? Or like, oh, wow, they must have mislabeled a movie because that, like, that happens sometimes. And then... <laughs> And then, like, it, then you, like, see it pan over to the wires, quick. and you're like, well, that, that's, this is where it begins. Yeah, and, like, the pulley's tightening, and then it's like, <laughs> it's some kind 
a really dumb sound effect, I remember Oh yeah. I will say, though, the opening scene is actually pretty masterful in some aspects because of how it really genuinely creates this air of fun and and, uh, glamour Mm -hmm. and then immediately rips that away from you. Like, you can see it coming. There's a definite build-up to it. The the sheer degree of viscera and body horror involved with the actual scene of everyone getting just I did feel like that was pretty have... over the top and not it was over the... that it was too gory but <laughs> if, I felt like as soon as you saw like the one guy falling in half you were like oh okay I've seen enough I... but then it keeps going and going until the scene with the captain and I'm like that's a little more visceral than I thought they were gonna go for cause... yeah especially because like I would argue that the movie as a whole isn't really like horror centric so like the opening scene ends up being like it stands out more right right because like you have this guy his jaw slides off of his like the top half of his yeah. skull slides off of his jaw and like flops onto the ground absolutely that's just and you don't really see that until uh, another similar scene later i will say though the i i imagine they probably use cgi to replicate like the body parts and effects i think the degree to which they don't show that cgi really works to sort of enhance the scene. Oh, sure. And especially like... it's aged well, I think. Absolutely. At least that part of the CGI. But uh, there's other parts that we'll get into. Well, there's specifically one part I that made me laugh every time I've seen it. The two times. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a maniac. And I'm st- I've been <laughs> watching this every night for like the last 20 years of my life. Constructing my ghost ship fan fiction in which uh, the blonde guy and Carl Urban ran off together into the sunset. Because let's face it, they had more chemistry than a uh, blonde guy and Epps did. But... I think we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's introduce our real cast of characters before we really dive into the movie proper. So we get this flashback scene at the very beginning, which we've already talked somewhat at length about, um, about this luxurious Italian cruise ship from 1962, where everyone gets friggin' guillotined with some wire. I think it's garroted. Garroted. Guillotine, I think, is more of a verticality. Garroted is what I was thinking of, yes. But, like, I mean, also method of... Garotted is correct. But anyway, we cut to the present day, and we have this ragtag salvage crew who gets a tip from a guy that should have been played by Matthew Lillard about the whereabouts of the ship in the modern day. Well, no, you're forgetting there's another opening scene where... Oh, there are on another salvage job. No one gives a shit. (laughs) I mean, all, all they establish in that scene is just the fact that they know how to, like, fix ships and shit. Which, I guess, is relevant to a plot point later in the movie, but I feel like by the very nature of I mean, like that salvage crew, it seems like that would be kind of a given. That's fair, but, like, they have to introduce them somehow. But I, I feel like it's important not to, bar. like... I don't feel... I, I honestly do think it'd be better to start about the bar, but I feel like, yeah, you do need a scene for them salvaging, <laughs> but maybe cut it to, like, the end, and then, like, a transitionary scene between the docks where they're giving each other shit... And then to the bar, celebrating how good of a job. And Dodge, yeah. I think is his name. The I don't remember their names. I don't remember their I names. just have fun little nicknames. The characters we get introduced to that are the real like main cast we work with, the salvage crew. We have... You have Murphy, who is the older guy. The captain, who's got, like, a father-daughter relationship with the token female character, Ep. And, like, honestly, I don't know if this is just me, but every time I saw him, I was like, oh, God, I hope this movie doesn't make them a romance thing. I kind of like that 
they subvert that? I really um, am glad, but it felt it, like at times, and I think this might just be like, this is either endemic of like Hollywood as a whole, like conditioning my brain to think like, oh yeah, like this age, like difference is totally reasonable to expect between men and women, or it's just like, I've <laughs> internalized something completely different. But I really did like that it was like a father-daughter thing. Yeah, there's something about that that's like, again, sort of endearing. Mm-hmm. And the daughter part of that relationship is Maureen, who is the woman, which is kind of her... Yeah, her last name is Epps, so I mostly remember them calling her Epps. Yeah, her name is Epps. I think her name Maureen is Maureen Epps. Yeah. Who was shown to be... She's... I was about to say... I, she I makes for was... a fun, like... She becomes sort of the protagonist of the movie, and I feel like is sort of a fun character to follow. She's got the sort of gruff abrasiveness about her, but is also shown to be legitimately caring and really concerned with the well-being of her crew members. Yeah, and I wanted to say, like, I had shit done. So, like, I didn't want to dismiss her, like, as the woman. Because, I mean, like, I feel like that's a horrible thing to, like, relegate someone to. Like, absolutely. oh, your role is your marginalization, which is unfortunately a trend in, like, a lot of movies. Especially the horror media, let's be honest. But, like, I feel like Epps has a lot of, like, genuine agency. And, like, she could, she, like... If I, like, separated her from the group, like, I know, like, what her motives are, what she's like as a person. She's no-nonsense. She's secretly very soft, but is, like, super guarded. I feel like her relationships don't define her in Mm -hmm. the sense that, like, I hate to, like, Like, I hate to take it back to Gehenna, right? Right. But I feel like Paulina's motivations were entirely based on the characters. If you just had Paulina in the bunker by herself, I don't know what I could tell you other than her baby boy died. Like, and that was like a scene that lasted like five seconds and that she's dismissively racist. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of dismissively racist, there's a character, one of the other characters in there. I only put the note in as seafaring Zoolander because he's the uh, Santos. Santos, Santos, the mechanic that works on the ship and has that sort of like stereotype of uh, mechanically inclined individuals who are sort of enamored with whatever technology or gear they're working with. At one point he's working on the ship, it squirts oil on him and he's like, oh, so sweet. And I'm like, damn Santos. Yeah, Santos has this one scene where he he has this picture pulled out and he's talking to it like, Oh, I miss you so much, baby. We're coming home to you right after this car. Yeah, it's a car. I'm like, ah, yes, of course. Um, and also the only other character trait he has is that he's ambiguously Hispanic. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't really remember anything else he does in the film. Except, yeah. Except being a mechanic. Exactly. So then that covers him. The next character we get into is Carl Urban. Carl Who is a trash golem. Now, how is this different from Keith Urban? Will made that joke so many fucking times to me when watching this movie, and I'm not here for that. But yeah, there's Carl Urban, who I liked better in other movies. He was okay-ish in this one, but they didn't really give him much of a character to work with, except his character isn't 100% the brightest. He kind of sort of makes a Titanic reference at one point in the movie, Um, and he's super greasy. That's it. That's Carl Urban. He's so greasy. And then you have... 
Dodge, he was like the blonde guy. Oh yeah, I never remembered his name. Just uh, the blonde guy. I feel like he had some uh, pretty good chemistry with Carl Urban. Then they try and do like a weird like, I don't know if this was real or not, or if it was just based on the villainous actions of a character later in the movie, but they sort of do a weird love triangle thing with Epps. They do, and they introduce it way too late. Like, I really... Right. And again, I couldn't tell if that was legitimately a product of the legitimate characterization they were going for, or if that was just the villain attempting to manipulate Dodd. Yeah, and it's just, like, it's so hard to love, and, like, relationships usually function as, like, a means to an end mechanically as opposed to, like, something that just happens to, like, work organically with the screw. Yeah, and sometimes it can bloom on a battlefield. (laughs) Welcome to our Metal Gear Solid (laughs) podcast. I've never played a game, and Darcy's played all of them. (laughs) And Metal Gear Solid 2 is my favorite one of the series. I feel like that's everyone's favorite. I would not say that. There's a lot of people that are have very contentious views on that, but that's neither here nor there because uh Is it more contentious than saying the Phantom Pain is your favorite? <laughs> it's much less contentious. <laughs> anyway, what were we saying before we talked about Metal Gear? That was my fault. Oh yeah, love. Love. True love. I have not actually seen that movie. You've not seen The Princess Bride? No, I don't get out much. I just play video games. No. Hence why. All I could tell you about Dodge and Munder, which is Carl Urban's character. Oh uh, yeah. Munder is a horrible I don't I don't care if it's that character's last name, that's horrible. Yeah. It does not Munder. sound good. No. I hate it. But like they have like such good chemistry together that I really wish the movie was just about these two. Oh my god, like a some sort of uh, horror comedy where just Munder and Dodge like bungling their way through salvage operations, running into supernatural creatures. Or just put them like in any other environment. They're just like two big goofs, and I really wish the movie played it up more. But instead, like most of the time, you get like this really jarring, like like this really suspenseful feeling, and like you're waiting for something to happen, like. Oh, intriguing. And you have these two assholes just eating pork and beans out of town. Yeah! We're having a great time. Having a great time. Having a great time. Eating beans. Yeah, I feel like it would have been more interesting if it was just those two characters together. I because really like them so much, is the thing. Exactly. I feel like one problem the movie suffers it is too many characters and doesn't spend enough time building each of them, so you don't give a shit about them. Speaking about not having enough time to build up characters, let's talk about Greer. Death Flags, the character. Considering there is the stereotype of characters of color in horror movies, so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, flag. especially like black people. Exactly, so Greer, African American male, Death Flag right there in a horror movie. The first person who's actually like, hey, we need to get the fuck off the ship. Yeah, he's Death the flag. reasonable one. The reasonable one. Death flag. And the fact that he's like, hey, I'm getting married in a month. <laughs> yeah, they- The biggest goddamn death flag. You were playing a visual novel, and you had a character that was like, oh, I'm getting married in a month. And they, they die, like, three chapters in at, like, a dead end. But yeah, that's, again, literally his only character traits is that he's a pretty level-headed dude who's getting ready to get married in like a month. Sometimes they kind of pull out like the thing like, oh, he's the black character. He's gotta say everything cool and hip. But I feel like for the most part... I like his backwards cap at one point. That was (laughs) was really good. I think for the most part they do a decent job at kind of saying that. The most racist depiction of a character I've ever seen. So, uh... I think it's way better when you're not in the bar scene. When you're out of the bar scene, everything is kind of 
know worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bar scene, that's the first introduction you really get. And we're like, still stuck in the bar scene. Because, uh, he, like, it's this fun little camaraderie they all got with each other. And then we finally get to the last character, who, again, I wish was played by Matthew Lillard. He's the character that is, he's basically a pilot, and I forget exactly what he does. I think, Maybe he, I'm he, I think he's but... for, I think he, like, surveys, like, the coast mm-hmm. in some capacity. Oh, did you know what his name was? Uh, theremin. Like the instrument? Here, I'm gonna show you. No, not a theremin. Theremin. Oh, that's fucking stupid. I didn't go to fourth grade remedial speech impediment classes just for you to be <laughs> theremin? That is stupid. We'll get into why that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, again, the character that I wish was played by Matthew Lillard, he's made to be unassuming for reasons that are plot important later, but it makes him come across as really flat and, like, it uninteresting. It really does. Like, it, he's like, just there. He kind of serves to be, like, like this more, like, soft and timid guy, like, oh, no, I can't do anything on my own. Oh, it's so dangerous. I'm in the Air Force. <laughs> like unremarkable and not he's like, too unassuming and it like exactly I, I actually i don't think he's too unassuming because i think that works really well for his role but it made me want to see him less on the screen and see everyone else more especially because everyone has like these really vibrant personalities i don't know about that well put together and then you also have like the subunit of munder and dodge god i wish we just had like a funny comedy movie about i really do anyway he tells them that he's seen a unknown ghost ship. Ghost ship that has appeared on his radar. He doesn't know who it belongs to. He's tried radioing to it. No one's responded. And he wants a cut of the profits from the salvagers dredging it up. Yeah, and it feels illegal to do this. I, I don't know anything about it's maritime law. It's, it's, probably, it's in this. international waters. It's fair game. They even make a point about that. Oh, I think I think that you're right. I think that is the point that they make. Like, oh, it's international waters. <laughs> We're pirates. We're pirates. The and there's a whole, the there's such a long back and forth between Murph and Ferriman. Because of, they're trying to suss out whether they're going to go or not, what kind of the deal they're getting. And they specifically don't want him there. He's yeah. like, but I gotta go, guys. And uh, I know at one point, Death Flags is like, hey, let's make it back to the States because I'm getting married in a month and I want to make it home to my girl. Yeah, and like, he mentions his fiance so much, but when like it arises, like, oh, I guess we gotta go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pirate at heart and I'm a salvager at soul or whatever the rest of them. yeah the saying is so everyone ends up agreeing pirate heart soft, soul. this dumb soft baby boy along and then they have this intermediate scene when they're getting to the ghost ship and where it's like so, more interactions with the characters which is like weirdly comfy because i got these cute little bunk beds and shit in the, in the in the boat yeah it is so boring but my one favorite thing is that you see dodge reading a book it's oh god bless <laughs> it's the funniest prop book i I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, it's like this really vibrant purple and then like lilac comic sans. It's like inside the mind of evil or uh, the uh, something about conspiracy theories. Is that supposed to say something about like Dodge's character or is that just there to be there? I don't I know. know. I don't know. Because it almost... Because uh, when stuff starts going spooky on the boat, he's not one of the people that's like, oh, it's ghosts. Yeah, and it also seems to be like, it might just be a nod to the plot in general 
Yeah, it, like it's just such like everything about this movie is so hammy, right? But like this particular detail is so over the top. I can't help but think like, what were they thinking when they made this prop? They probably weren't. It's probably why it's it's actually in the movie. And I'm the only person who's ever noticed it. And I'm the only person who'll ever care about it. <laughs> Moving on, this is where we the plot really picks up. I will say, to the movie's credit, they don't spend a lot of time dwelling on the introductory nature of the characters or... We sure did, though, huh? But a big bada boom. Well, the movie just gets right into it. We pretty quickly get to the cruise ship. It's been abandoned. That's when the captain, who is super knowledgeable, mentions that it's this legendary liner that disappeared at sea 40 years ago. Hey, he tells that right from the glance when I think they see, like, the side of the cruise Oh, yeah, he sees the name. And he's like, my God. And they're like, what are you fucking talking about, Grandpa? He's like, this is the holy grail of... (laughs) People have been trying to find this for years. And so everyone boards. And they have a whole scene of them, like sneaking through and it's all like it's all rusted through because it's been rained on for 40 years yeah it's been in the water for 40 years no shit made to last that long and they trudge through someone falls through the floor and, and think- says don't let go and i'm like is that a titanic reference they're trying to make i think people just say things sometimes and <laughs> you can just not attribute it to anything mm-hmm. are you shitting on me bro I'm sorry. Anyway, so we go through the cruise ship. Everyone's like, weird. It's like they'll just left. Mm-hmm. Because there's no bodies at this point. It's just like a bunch of old dusty relics. Yeah. Like, I think they step into like this dining area, which we'll come back to. With the poster of Francesca. Mm-hmm. The beautiful singer. And uh, Greer has to stop. Greer, who is Death Flags, stops and is Yes. She's beautiful. Yeah, too bad she ain't alive. Like, everything is just covered in, like, cobwebs and dust. Interesting that there would be cobwebs when I don't know how spiders would live and survive, but you know what? After later revelations in the movie, it kind of makes sense. Spiders can live anywhere, right? I mean, but... if These spiders have evolved. I will say, but if at this point there aren't any, uh, like, bodies, then uh, what are the spiders eating? Other spiders. (laughs) Or seagulls. Oh, yeah, because we do see a dead seagull at some point in the middle of an enclosed space. When we're not sure how it would have gotten to that point, considering it would have had to open some doors. But, you know, that's just the magic of the ghost ship. Oh, yeah. And when uh, Munder, Carl Urban, when he falls through the rusty, rusty floor, at one point we start getting some inclinations that this place might be fucking haunted. Oh, that's right. I think that's when, when, see, I think that's when Epps, yeah, Epps first sees, sees, like, this small girl. And how, how haunting. Yeah, I think we see her and we're like, that's the girl from the beginning. Exactly. She so, has no eyebrows and she's got a fucking insane widow's peak. She does. And like, I mean, I know that was probably part of the like intended design of the characters. Jesus Christ. I don't think it's a bad look. And especially because I think like, that's probably like the girl's natural look. So she'll like grow into it. It's just like she has like those really light eyebrows. Yeah, from like got that fucking Reed Drummond thing going on. Anyway, um, eventually anyway. Epps and Dodge and Munder go to like this submerged part of the ship and they're like oh we're gonna go check it out and it turns out like once they get in there that there's like a bunch of holes in i think specifically the hole Mm. of the ship and they're like oh we can't get her out of here she'll just sink and everyone's like well and the captain specifically is like hey we can do this we've got enough tools to get this to make this a three-day job we've got to get her back to shore and everyone's like hey boss fucked up (laughs) Hey boss, we don't boss. Hey boss, we don't have the tools, boss. I will say, I don't have nearly enough notes on this particular part of the movie because of the fact that like it's, it's so boring, is the thing. <laughs> it's 
extremely dull. I was bored out of my mind. And the I thing was is, like, just I'm... get to the ghosts. <laughs> and I, it's the ghost ship. <laughs> yeah, because all this shit is fucking boring. You don't even get like a lot of ghost stuff yeah. until like after they get to like the smaller ship. Absolutely. And like the thing is, none of the characters have a modicum of just self awareness or any awareness of their environment. Because there's things like there's a sequence where they're all looking at different parts of the ship and the captain finds a rusty razor blade and is just running his thumb over the fucking edge of it. Oh, you know what it is? And he's in the the cruise captain's room. In the crew captain's quarters. And he's like, yeah, this is what that captain needs to use. This is legendary. It's like, boy, you're gonna get tetanus. <laughs> And then there's another part where, uh, it, at the same time, Greer is just staring down an empty elevator shaft. Just like, well, this is a thing. And then while that's happening, Epps is in the pool looking at... She's like, oh, shell casings, how bizarre. And you see on the wall behind her, she totally hasn't noticed, like, any of the fucking bullet holes. She, like, ends yeah, up and getting jump-scared by the girl ghost. Yeah, and then blood starts pouring out of it as soon as she leaves. I'm like, God, I wish that was happening while she was standing in there. Yeah, that would have been, like, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Instead, she has a little bit of blood that goes into a bullet hole in the floor of the, the, the pool and just gets slurped up and starts oozing out other orifices in the pool. And it, again... This would have been cool or more captivating if the characters are noticing or reacting. But all the characters are fucking brain dead and don't seem to understand, like, I don't know, that something just isn't right until things start to pick up. Yeah, I think Fairman and Dodge, or Fairman and Santas are hanging out. It's right. some very unremarkable duo. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell you what any of those, like, four are doing, but eventually everyone's like, hey, what are these weird rectangular chests? As though chests came in, like, a different shape. And they what find are... gold bars! And they're like, oh boy, we're gonna be rich! And, like, one of the things about the gold bars is that they have all the markings filed off so it's untraceable. It's ghost gold. Ba-da-da! Just stolen, probably. But, uh, I mean, they make the point of being like, ah. Yeah. And then they get, I think that's where, that's where things start to pick up and take on a real supernatural air. Because, um, they prepare to load the gold up onto their ship. Because, at that point, they basically say, fuck it. Um, we have enough money in this gold that we don't need to do anything with the ship itself. But when they attempt to take it away... Mysterious forces caused the ship to explode. Specifically, Santos fixes the engine. Oh, that's um, right. I think they were still the like, oh, we're, gonna, we're just going to like patch enough just to haul it ashore because like combined, that'll be enough. And I think that's when they make the decision after Santos blows up is that they're like, oh, we're just going to get the gold and get the hell out of here. Well, I think at that point, they're like, hey, our ship's fucked. Like, we need to get this ship in commission. Oh, that's right. Or take a raft off here. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. It's obvious that the ship exploding was done by supernatural means because... But it's not obvious to them somehow. Except for kind of Greer, who's like, he's the one... There's only a couple people that... Or Santos dies. Everyone else survives, but are pretty rattled from the incident. Well, Santos is the only one that's in there, and I think, like, that's how he's the only Can one Can we talk does. about how fucking badass Epps is? Because... Oh, I love she... Epps. Okay, so they're loading the gold up onto the ship. Mm-hmm. The explosion happens. Basically what happens, there's a propane tank that Valve mysteriously turns, and uh, Greer goes to start the ship, and Santos is like, no, and gets exploded. I believe it's Munder, Dodge, and Greer that are in the water. Epps is still on the ship with the captain. Fucking the captain. I don't 
Murph. Murph. Murphy. God, it's at least like a the equivalent of the height of a two-story building from where she's at on the ship to the water. But as soon as she sees their tugboat go down and everyone else go down with it, she just books it off and dives into the water to save her crew. That was a like, really cool badass moment. It was. I'm like, damn, Epps. Like, that was a moment where she showed a degree of action and heroism that I hadn't seen from a lot of other, like, horror movie protagonists. Mm-hmm. At least in points that would be that early in the film. But yeah, it really speaks to how selfless her character is when she sees everyone go goes down and without a second thought, she just goes in after him, even though that fall could have that the height from which she leapt probably could have killed her. Yeah, but I think it's also like she knows how to dive that well too. She knows how to like crisscross her legs so she doesn't like break them on the water or whatever. That makes sense. Like she's a pro at what she does and she deserves to be the boss and that's why yeah. she's like effectively second in command. Mm-hmm. She gets everyone out of the water and onto the ghost ship. Um, at this point they're trying to figure out what to do. There's basically a vote whether they should repair the ghost ship, which again they don't really know is a ghost ship at this point except for Epps who keeps seeing the little ghost girl. She's trying to tell other people about it and they're like hey you're so funny Epps. there's a vote taken because Greer just wants to get on a raft with the gold and get the fuck out of Dodge oh um, yeah they make there's this weird argument about like hey we should just build a raft and it's like my guy you're in the middle of the ocean you don't know where you are you're gonna build a raft to be fair at, like what five people at this point and a bunch of gold and we're like we're gonna just do our best to be fair his whole thing is he doesn't get a good feeling about the ship he seems pretty convinced that something is awry. That's fair, but I feel so like he's ready to come up with like a better alternative. Right? That's true, and I would say the raft idea would sound a little less ludicrous until you realize they really do have the means to fix the ghost ship and at least use that as a means of escape. Because yeah. that's something they argue. Because with all the equipment they have and that like two-minute scene earlier in the movie, it's shown that they can do that kind of hull repair. I just wish that there was like at least like a line of dialogue where he's like, "I've looked. There's no lifeboats, man." With the only way to get off this ship is to build a raft. Oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. Like, just justify it to me instead of just being like, we gotta get off this ship. <laughs> right, exactly. The other characters argue that, like, hey, fixing the ship is the rational idea. He ends up punching out Carl Urban because Carl Urban is like, fuck you, man. Like, it's a dumbass idea. And it's really weird that it's him and it's not, like, it, like it's an argument the crew, right? It's not with Ferriman? Yeah. It's like, it feels like they're, you don't get any indication that this team really has any problems with each other. That they're all, and that argument really comes out of like left field. I can understand that they're heated because they're having a hard time deciding how they should handle the situation. One thing you might assume it felt kind of drastic just for like, right? And that's the only time a conflict like that within the crew itself really arises. Mm -hmm. You would sort of think that maybe it's the ghost ship trying to pit them against each other so they kill each other off or whatever. But it definitely just feels like it's just them, though. It doesn't feel, yeah. like, supernaturally motivating. It is, yeah, it just feels like it kind of comes out of left field. So they end up splitting up again. Our boys, Dodge and Munder, going to get some grub. Oh, that's Epps right. They're going to go check out the kitchen just to see if, like, oh, might as well see if there's anything here that we can eat. Yep. Epps goes to find Katie. Greer is like, fuck y'all, I'm out. And... I don't think Epps specifically goes to find Katie, right? She's well, just she... wandering around for something. She... I think she does, though, go specifically to Katie, because she looks at the ship's registry and is looking for where a young girl would be. Oh, that's right. Because she specifically sees that it was an eight-year-old girl who was traveling alone. Mm -hmm. So she's like, that's got to be the little girl I've been seeing. So Mm -hmm. she goes to that cabin and gets some sweet, sweet ghost ship lore. 
Um, and we also have Greer goes Murph. to the ballroom. Yep, and Murph goes to the captain's quarters, who he also gets some sweet, sweet lore that has spoilers for the ending of the movie. Which we also don't see until the end of the movie. Right, exactly. Which is a twist that was both predictable and not actually all that interesting. I think something that Ghost Ship kind of fails at is it's just not all that exciting except for a couple oddball scenes. And those scenes are like really like off the fucking wall. Yeah, and I really wish, like, this this movie was that way the whole way. Just make it exactly. so extra the whole time. Because like, a lot of this is just a pretty predictable, pretty slow. And it's so reserved a lot. Until exactly. You, and, but, and, like, then you have, like, these weird oddball moments where, like, it's like a murder, like, in the kitchen. And, like, this is the first one out of, like, this weird, like, You mean uh, Dodge and Munder. Dodge and Munder, yeah. You have Dodge and Munder just, like, going at these kids. Like, holy shit, this food's good. And then you get, like, this really disgusting scene. With the mag because they're like oh this pork and beans is fucking immaculate and it turns out it's the ghost ship tricking them into eating maggots not for any reason to like kill them or anything but just to fuck with them fuck those guys yeah and it's so and it's so like weirdly funny it is it's really played up in a goofy way because i mean not necessarily them eating the magnet maggots or the magnets But like the, work. the the lead up to it, which is just like them like blowing around, like I'll give you like ten bucks if you eat this dude. And he's like, yeah, dude. I don't know. It's... I made the ninety circles, but <laughs> but it's legitimately fun, but weird tonally given the context of the rest of the movie, which has either been legitimate horror territory or it's been again, like you said, very reserved. Then we also get Greer in yeah. the ballroom who runs into the ghost of Francesca, and that scene was legitimately kind of captivating. The transition I, into the ballroom. I really like that. It, it was... gave me some vibes from like the Don Bluth Fox Studios movie of Anastasia. Yeah, where it's slowly like reassembling back to where it was Anastasia. in the 19th like 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, and she's like, want to dance or something? It's... And he's like, well, I can't cheat on my fiance with a dead girl. He's like, I'm just going with this because I don't know this is real. Which I it's really like, I dislike so much because it's like, I really yeah. I really wanted the light Greer and I was like oh he's gonna be the moral compass and he mostly is I, ki- he's I guess kind of the straight man to these goofier it, uh, it definitely defaults Epps. to Epps yeah but like he's a second he's like your second straight he man. is the first mate on the ship mm-hmm. and like they make such a big deal about his fiance I was like oh I, I was hoping that his loyalty so stupid like it's just it's like before the so he, they show this photo of his fiance that he always carries with him and like it's so goofy looking the way the photo itself looks because it's it literally so like, weird and like she's a really beautiful woman it, it's, but it's such an awkward photo it's staged like it was this hastily shot photo that they did right before the production of someone that like a cast or crew member happened to know that they thought would probably fit the description of like Greer's love interest yeah and it's like I don't know what to tell you, but just, I don't know, I really was hoping that it was going to be, like, Greer's denial of, like, going with the thing that would end up with him being murdered. Not that I want him to be murdered, but, like... But it was sort of inevitability, With you calling him death flags, like, yeah, like, everything's pointed at, like, being a person who dies. Right. So they have this beautiful scene where they're, like, dancing together, and I... And it really is captivating. Then it goes into... <laughs> today's... Oh yeah, she's We're like, gonna see oh, I'm good. Baby. I'm gonna undress in the middle of this ghost ballroom. Follow me. Oh wait. <laughs> to be fair, she sexually leads him away.
away from the bar when they go to a more secluded area. Oh, that's then right. Then she starts stripping. The secluded area, which is like, I think it's like a more, like a hallway that's leading. Kind of, sort of, yeah. And like the, I said, we get to see full-on nips. Fucking fantastic. And then uh, those full-on nips lead Greer down the same elevator shaft that he was peering into earlier. Oh, yeah. And there's some kind of like weird contraption at the bottom that has like all these Oh, just a bunch of rebar. Like, yeah. Oh, of, like, yeah. Because they get fallen apart. So, yeah. That's how Greer meets his untimely demise. Again, it's kind of cute that they lampshade that at the beginning of the movie when all the characters split up. And I think at this time, this is where we see Murph, actually. it cut, It's like a really short scene with the, the cruise captain. Which, again, is which weirdly is, comfy with him and the captain. They seem to regard each other as... Yeah, even as though they the can't speak each other's languages, and that's something like I really appreciated for uh-huh. some reason, was like, oh yeah, he doesn't know Italian. That they just sense. They and just communicate. Yeah, they just share like a whiskey and like the the cruise captain's ghost is like, hey buddy, gotta look at something. And then we cut to Epps and Katie. Yeah. Or rather, Epps and Katie's room and Katie's <laughs> dead corpse in the closet hung from She's not even in the closet, she's hanging out over the side, uh, like outside the window. I thought she was in the closet because she opens up the two doors that have all the childhood drawings and stuff on it. No, because like, it's, oh, okay. I think it's like, I think it's out of a window because she has to specifically reach out and get Katie's locket. But I and, thought she was just reaching out because she didn't want to touch a kid's corpse. Fair. That means <laughs> none of us do. But Katie gives her some lore explanation. And by lore explanation, it's a cool flashback. Oh my god, the murder And I really love this so much. It's it's just bonkers. This was the whole movie. It's bonkers. But basically, not a lot has really happened in the ship up until this point. There's a couple spooks and scares, but then with Santos's death, Greer's death, you know that something insidious is happening. So Kate gives the lowdown on what exactly is going on on the ghost ship. So Kate takes Epps into a flashback of the night of the murders of pretty much everyone on the ship, and it ties back to the goal. So what ha- what had happened was, we get a replay of the scene in which everyone is garroted and Kate survives. But you also see just prior to that, where all the ballroom guests are dining with Francesca singing at them. They're also being poisoned with arsenic. Oh yeah, the people who are on the dance floor are being poisoned. The people who are being poisoned are, are being, being rounded up and shot in the, the pool, which explains the bullet holes and casings. Mm-hmm. And then you have this theme of like, I'm gonna and a leap around like 10 people. I was gonna say, uh, the, uh, the foxhound of cruise liners. They're like, oh, we gotta get the gold, we gotta get the gold. Then you have this other guy come in, he's like, guess what, fellas, except nobody's talking because it's set to like this music. It is- it's got this nutty fucking music and I love it. That's why I, I refer to it as the murder AMV because it's literally a sequence of these really brutal over oh, you know what? executions. You know what it is? It's, it's him and then it's like oh. he, he kills like these four guys who are trying to load it up. He's like huh? Towards Francesca. Francesca's like yeah. She kills him. A guy comes back from the shadows and she's like did I do good? He's like yeah. And he shoots her. And, no, no, no. He doesn't shoot her. Oh, no, he, he puts her on the hook. He basically has oh, okay. a ship's hook come down and slice into her face, and then he marks her hand. Mm-hmm. Kate makes a reference to the marked ones and how they can't escape the ship unless the ship goes down. Then the ominous man who murdered Francesca swivels around, and we realize it's Ferryman. Oh. Ferryman. A ferryman of the damned. Shut up. No, he's a ferryman of the orchestra. <laughs> But again, this whole sequence is set to the nuttiest fucking music, and I adore it with every fiber of my being. This is when the movie for me really was one of the peaks. Because it goes from again. I think it's absolutely the peak for me, other than like the opening scene. 
It's true. It's very low-key. There's this over-the-top, like, low-key for the rest of the movie. Um, with some minor scares here and there. Greer scene where he was murdered, and the ballroom was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. But this murder AMV was just a fucking delight, because it's kind of fucking bonkers. Again, because you have this super violent, like, takedown of all these And, and like, the double crossing just, like, is excessive. <laughs> it's like spy versus spy. And it's so good, and I think it's, like, really emblematic of, like, the the chaos that ferryman as like a character is supposed to embody that he will make anyone like double cross anyone else Mm -hmm. which is also important for later in the movie Mm -hmm. but like it's definitely just so fun to watch and then then you think oh god i have to watch the rest of this movie (laughs) exactly it's not this exactly it's just a zany scene and i adore it Unfortunately, we're pulled from the magic of it because the ship starts making weird noises at Kate, and Kate's like, ah, doesn't want me to tell you the backstory, ah. And then Kate poofs away. Murph has been speaking with the captain and goes to find the rest of the crew because he's discovered as well basically what Epps found out. Yeah, there was was a photo that the captain showed him. Which was a ferryman. Yeah, he's boarding the cruise ship or something. Exactly. Or he's like part of like the, the, the crew that came on, yeah. Yeah. yeah, because it also turned out the whole well, the catalyst for the murders on the ship was the gold, as we mm-hmm. um, mentioned to you or referenced earlier. Um, it turns out that gold was taken from another ship, and the gold itself kind of has the curse. Oh, that's right, because, well, because they took in like, they took in like another ship. Yeah, and I think that's where Ferriman came in. He was from the previous ship. Mm-hmm. They latched onto the new ship, um, and he basically uses the gold as a vehicle to get people to murder the fuck out of each other. Because as Ferriman later explains, he's a a literal fairman of the dead yeah um in which he takes their souls back to hell presumably he alludes to management but oh that that's and, right and he has like a quota to keep and it's very weird that, like i have like i think it's really cool that he mentions a quota but he seems to imply that there's an end that like a cap that he needs to reach it is like but then he brings it back happens? to management <laughs> well he brings it back to management and presumably has to go back out again and get more souls well it seems well it seems like the end is like that he gets something particular out of it like he no longer has to harvest souls that's true because he does straight up say and again we're kind of skipping a little bit because basically what we miss between the scene with the backstory and this point is just Murph sees the ghost of Santos attempts to warn everyone about the photo he uncovered and then gets put in the aquarium and then he drowns and drowns and at this and that's point, where like the photo floats up and it's like it's pyramid that's where Epps finds him exactly then I then, think Dodge and Munder are still alive, right? Up and yeah, up until this point where Dodge, Munder, and Epps are really committed to getting the ship fixed. Mm-hmm. And at some point, which is stupid because they still have to get they're working on pumping water out of the ship and they welded a bunch of the holes shut. Um and after that, Munder gets killed by some gears. Um, because he's trying to unclog something in the pump. So it's oh, just yeah. Dodge, Epps, and Ferriman. And at this point, Epps has realized Ferriman's he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Oh, he does bad things. He's a bad Exactly. So, yeah, that's basically all you're really missing. It's dull as fuck, because, for example, the scene with Murph and Santos, it's supposed to be, like, a fun, action-packed, sort of horror scene, but it just drags. It drags so much, and it's like... 
I feel very bad for, like, the actor who had to play Santos because, like, it's such a sucky role. I mean, first of all, you have to play, like, into all these stereotypes, and then, like, it's just, like, such bad dialogue, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like even from, like, an actor standpoint where you're, like, reading your lines as opposed to someone who's following the whole narrative, Uh like, imagine, like, you have to switch from being 100% horny for cars (laughs) into, like, oh, I'm a murder ghost and I hate you, I've always hated you. Yeah, I think the only other thing that scene serves to accomplish is the fact that like Murph attacks Epps because the ghost ship made Epps look like Santos yeah. in Murph's eyes, um, which justifies them putting him in the aquarium, which doesn't have water in it at that point, but later gets filled. Uh, that's right, I forgot. So literally, the only other thing that scene serves is that there's weird disguisey powers, which Ferryman uses after we get all the lore about him to disguise himself as Dodge and really... try to seduce Epps. I wonder if it can be implied that Ferryman pretended gets... to be Francesca, or if like oh, Fran- Oh my god. Because here's the thing. Well, I don't think I'm pretending to be Francesca. There's like a weird well, line between ones. Yeah, there's like a weird line between like malevolent ghosts and like and not malevolent. Basically, he can only mark those who have sin, and he marked Francesca. Francesca and some of the other ghosts there like serve him. Mm-hmm. Kate doesn't, which is why Kate can warn them because Kate is a child and therefore without sin. Oh, that's all right. Because children aren't little trash goblins or anything. Anyway, get to the end. We reveal everything about Fairman. Dodge is killed off screen. We have the coolest oh, that's right. like, we have gun scene in the history of cinema. We have the weird scene with like Dodge and after like Dodge is like, I love you or something. Yeah, and, like, Dodge is like, I love you. We could run away together. And F's like, no, we gotta blow up the ship because of the ghosts and shit. It comes basically like left field. It does. The ship has to be destroyed, we find, because that's the vehicle through which Fairman can acquire more souls. He can bind them to the ship, but if the ship is destroyed and is sunk into the bottom of the ocean, then they're free, which we get a cool CG scene of. It's weird that they're bound to the ship and not bound to the same thing he's bound with, too, which is the gold. Yeah, exactly. We do find that those are kind of separate things by the very, very end. Um, But basically, she gets some C4, goes to blow a hole in the ship, has this knockout, drag-out fight with Ferriman. The C4 little trigger gets knocked out of her hand, and she activates it by shooting a harpoon at it. It's so fucking good. Oh my god, it's such cheesy, schlocky goodness. <laughs> it is, it's because Ferriman has, like, this kind of like fuck you moment where he's like you know, like you better make it count exactly. <laughs> you only get one shot what do you think it's gonna do she's like I'm not aiming for you Pachoo! it's so good it's so good and then we see a bunch of ghosts swirl around the sinking ship which go- which sinks in the same manner in which the Titanic does in which every is, movie about it again like a good scene it's fucking goofy and I it's, love it it's because you see these ghosts rise out of the water and swirl in a vortex around the ship yeah, and it's, a light into the it's night romantic sky. and like fairy tale esque yeah well that it hasn't but it's like really nice and it's like about on the same level as like the flashback scenes and the ballroom scene and god I wish the movie was just like even if it aged well right right or it didn't age well I wish the whole movie was like balls to the wall exactly because these scenes of incredible fantasy and horror are just so fun and so captivating and so over the top when the rest of the movie is a bunch of characters I don't really get that invested in because we don't give enough time or scenes really with them that develop them in interesting ways to make me give a shit. So we get these really fun, fantastical scenes and those are really the highlight because the rest of the movie I feel like really falls flat because it's not it's just not that interesting I feel like I'm basically asking for like Frighteners but if you put it on a ghost ship I've never seen Frighteners oh we got it anyway um, we cut to Epps Epps has been rescued somehow I think because everyone can see like 
It's either like the beacon of ghosts coming out of the ship, <laughs> or like there happened to be another ship nearby that's like right. registered the explosion. They rescue her, she gets loaded onto an ambulance on shore, and the last thing she sees is the rectangular box of gold being loaded up onto a new ship with the members of the tugboat crew that mm-hmm. were killed. You've got being led Gert, by you got Greer, you got Dodge and Munder. Which is a dumb ending, but I thought it was kind of cute, so I'm okay with that. It settles into the it's same cheesy. level of like, it's cheesy, but ambitious. And again, like, I don't know if I'd go for ambitious. I thought that was a way well, too easy of an ending. Well, I'm talking about, like, like, it still continues. People fought her ahoy. I mean, it's ambitious in the way that, like, the rest of the stuff was. Like, like the balls-to-the-wall shit. I feel like it's kind of on that level, but a little bit more low-key. But it could have been elevated so much more. Absolutely. Where, if, like, Ferriman just, like, winked at her and it's like... Because she does, like, she's, like, struggling. And I was like, no! No. Exactly. And Fairman's like, da da da. Yeah. Or I wish, like, it would be the end of, like, Cliff and Behind World at War, where you see, like, the Antichrist walking out of, like, an explosion. I wish it was that level with Fairman. But I think this is the point where we typically talk about things we thought the movie did well and didn't do well. But I feel like we encaptured that pretty well over the course of our discussion of just plot. Because, again, it really just boils down the to... The fantastical like, elements are this so This movie was fucking good. boring, except for the scenes where it, where it wasn't boring, which were... Which were on a whole other goddamn level. The dialogue, like, the, at least most of the dialogue made sense this time, I right? Mean, that's and it true. wasn't completely like serviceable. Right. It was a functional movie in the scenes in which this, we didn't have those really bonkers off the wall fantasy horror scenes. Mm-hmm. Those were, again, bonkers, and I loved them. But everything else is functional, but dull as shit. The characters are flat and two-dimensional, and, like, not even in a fun way where you know that they're gonna be murdered. Right. It's, it, like, because, like, you're not example, expecting, you're not, and, like, even, like, the deaths aren't even, like, that imaginative, mm-hmm. I don't think. I, yeah, I mean, they're kind of cute the way they lampshade them earlier in the movie. Like, for example, Greer staring down the elevator shaft and, and Murph hanging out in the captain's quarters, which he ends up going back to earlier before his death it's kind of a little like a little fun in that way but yeah i just wish the rest of the movie was zanier which i think is probably why the next thing i want to watch is 13 ghosts since that again made by the same guy now it's matthew lillard but uh is much heavier on the cg and the wackiness um so i'd like to give that a sampling in context of having watched ghost ship because again it's a serviceable movie it has really fun moments, but the rest of it is fucking boring. I think actually my recommendation for if you want to see weird ship, ha- weird ship, <laughs> you want to see a weird ship and a weird shit happening on a weird ship, I would actually recommend Triangle. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned this during the Gehenna review, but it's it's more like about the cinnamon topography, where it's like really beautifully shot, even if the plot doesn't necessarily make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely goes balls to the wall with its idea where it's fully like yeah we're committing to the bit instead of like this chicken shit (laughs) part where they're like oh we guess we gotta tone it down exactly so that's been our coverage of ghost ship i'm your co-host darcy i'm your co-host martin you can find us on twitter under fraternal fright there's no s at the end because it was too long you can also find us on youtube and soundcloud and itunes under fraternal frights